0: Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We're broadcasting from Coralville, Iowa. For more information about Life Church, to watch a live stream, or to find a campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. Today we're concluding our series Greater and a few years back, there was this uh, term that kind of surfaced, uh, a term that you're, you're familiar with. It, it, sur- it surfaced, but it had been around for some length of time. It's not like it's, it was invented just a few years back. But it surfaced because in a an day and age in which our world, that there is a kind of a new, you know, trying to make sense of this crazy new sexuality that exists in our world. Um, there has this term that surfaced out of that. That you might be you know it's an acronym that you, you're familiar with. It's DTR. Anybody know DTR? Well, I already explained it. DTR is define the relationship. Define the relationship, right? You know what that is. Have you ever been in a in a DTR moment? I'm sure you have. All of us, for the most part, have. You. If you're married here, you certainly have. Because at some point, you had to sit down with that person and say, "Do you like me? Do I like you? Do you want to get married? You know, you had to do that. And that's a define. That's a defined relationship kind of conversation, right? And so this is really something that's very common for us. I know I've had some DTR moments in my life. I remember when I first met my wife 35 years ago at Bible college. We met in Bible college, by the way. But I met her in Bible college, and I liked her. I thought she was cute, and I thought she was somebody I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. And so I began to have conversation with her, and we'd get breakfast. You know, we'd leave our dorm room and go to the cafeteria and get breakfast together. And just, it would be like, it's supposed to be like 30-minute breakfast. It turned into a couple hours. We'd even, a couple times, even skip class to just sit there and have breakfast. It's like, you know, so that's what happens. Um, and, then, and then there's this like this... this you know, it was great. You know, I felt really connected, you know, and we'd do chapel together. And then every once in a while, we'd go to, I'd go to chapel, and she wouldn't be with me. And I'd go to chapel, and I'd sit down, and I'd look across the room. And there she was sitting next to Jimmy Tabor. And I'm like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We need a, we need a, a define the relationship conversation right now. Because I thought you and I, and now you're sitting over there, what's going on? And certainly... That's all history. Jimmy was kind of homely anyways. Don't tell Jimmy I said that. (laughs) Oh, There's some people that know Jimmy, actually. Um, Anyways, define the relationship. Kind of reminds me of that movie Dumb and Dumber. It's not, okay, so just judge me, all right? Go ahead and judge me now. I did watch the movie Dumb and Dumber. I couldn't make myself watch Dumb and Dumber 2, but I did watch at least Dumb and Dumber 1. Um, The movie Dumb and Dumber, the whole whole premise of the the movie is that this guy Lloyd, who is played by Jim Carrey, uh, is a a cab driver. And and a lady by the name of Mary leaves her, her, her briefcase at an airport, like on the East Coast somewhere. And so it becomes his mission to take that briefcase all the way to Colorado, where she's from. And uh, he's just going gonna to del- deliver this briefcase, you know, and I mean, he goes through all this. The whole time he's on his way to Colorado, he's fantasizing that, that when he shows up and he hands Mary this briefcase, that she's going to fall madly in love with him and that they're going to live happily ever after. That's sort of the idea behind what he's fantasizing, you know. But he gets there and he gives her the briefcase and he hands her the briefcase and he asks her the question, do you think, do you think that you and me will ever be a thing? And she's like, no, <laughs> no, absolutely not, you know? And then he says, well, what, what, what are the chances? This is what he literally said. What are, just pull the band aid off. Just, what are the chances of you and I actually getting together? And she says, just never, like one in a million, she says, you know? And then he's like, so you're saying there's a chance, <laughs> right? These, de- these define the relationship moments can be kind of exciting if you're on the same page because you know the person's going to say yes. It can be kind of scary if you're not on the same page because you just can't even imagine what rejection is all about or re- that rejection you might receive. And so the big reason for these DTR moments, the big reason is to basically uncover or establish, and this is the word that I, we're going to kind of focus on today, to uncover or establish the commitment that there is to one another. Like, you've been in relationships where it was just kind of like never, there was no, no commitment. Like, you, like you, you weren't sure where it was going. Like, there was a, you got kind of close to the line of commitment, but you never really crossed the line of commitment. And if you've ever been in that kind of relationship, you know exactly how it is. The longer it goes like that, the less likely the relationship actually thrives and eventually just fizzles out because commitment has not been established. And I think that oftentimes... We treat Jesus this way. Like, I like Jesus. He's a good guy. I like him on my side. I like having somebody in my corner that when I'm in need or in pain or I'm in a pickle that I can pray to and he can answer, you know, my, my prayers. But, that, but, but as, that's kind of as far as it goes. You know, I just, I'm not going to totally, I'm not going to change my life. I'm not going to completely transform my life. Like, I like being in a relationship. I get the, the fringe benefits of being in that relationship, but don't expect me to go too far. And it's not crossing that line of commitment. And so in many ways, I'm a fan of Jesus, but I'm not necessarily a follower of his. Now we've been in a series greater, and I know I know that many of you have been praying, been asking God to reveal himself to you. You have been probably, most likely, as you've been praying, you've been having a few DTR moments with God where he's been kind of speaking to you about the relationship that he wants with you and asking you, are you ready to commit? Are you ready to step past that line, right? And so I want to ask you this very question I just asked. Are you a fan or are you a follower? Here's the reason why I need to ask this question. Because you will never experience the greater in your life. You will never experience the greater in your life if you're simply a fan of his and not a follower. If it's only, I'm only in for the benefit, but I'm not necessarily in for the, the commitment. If it's kind of a no strings attached relationship with Jesus Christ, then you will never ever get to that place of experiencing the greater that God has in store for your life. Jesus puts it this way in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Um, pretty hard statements. In fact, this verse is called, one of, there's, a, there's a, a whole list of verses called the hard sayings of Jesus. This is one of them. Luke 9, 23 says, If anyone would come after me, so if anyone would decide to pursue Jesus, go after him, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So followers deny themselves, they take up their cross, and they follow Jesus. A fan can be defined more as an enthusiastic admirer, somebody who thinks he's cool. It's good to have him on my side. It's good to to identify with him from a distance, so to speak. You see, but that's not what Jesus is looking for. Jesus often challenged those who were simply fans of his There's a story in in John chapter 6 where, um, uh, you know know the story. It's the feeding of the 5,000, right? You know the miracle around the feeding of the 5,000. It says that there were 5,000 men, so it was likely that there were maybe 12,000 men, women, and children there. And so Jesus, in a very miraculous way, he takes five small loaves of bread and two dried fish, and he breaks it and feeds this enormous, enormous crowd, and it's a miracle right? But Jesus, you know, and the people there, they like him. They love Jesus, right? They were hungry, and suddenly they're fed, and there's something significant for them about that, and so they, they want to stay. They want to hang around, but they, they, so they end up hanging around. They hang around yet another day, and the next day, like it is, you know, when you eat one day, and then you're going to be hungry the next day. The next day, they're hungry again, right? And so they start asking for food again. Is Jesus going to feed us again? And Jesus knows that they're they're there. They're not really there for the relationship with Christ. They're really there for the food. And he wasn't really into crowds. You know, he he really wanted commitment from people. And so Jesus proceeds on to say a few hard things. And he says, one of the things he says is, hey, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. (laughs) Wow. Kind of gross a few people out. We're like whoa 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 what is this cannibalism I, this is weird right look how they respond after jesus says this obviously jesus is talking about going all in for him but this is how they respond in verse 66 of john 6 it says after this after jesus hard statement many of his disciples turned back and no longer walk with him and jesus was okay with that Because Jesus cares about commitment. It's not a stretch to say that too many churches are filled with fans coming to see the show. They carry the Bible, they know the songs that are sung. They even have a nice little bumper sticker that identifies them with Christianity and let all those heathen people out there know that I'm a Christian. They're just simply a fan, they're not a follower. See, a lot of us don't mind Jesus once a week on Sunday. We don't mind making some minor changes in our lives, you know, a few tweaks here and there, but Jesus really wants to turn our lives upside down. We want Jesus to just do a few modifications, but what Jesus really wants to do is he wants to overhaul our lives. When we enter into a relationship with him, that is what he's after, is to basically turn your life upside down. I was a uh, I was traveling once, I, was, I don't remember exactly where I was going, but I remember being stuck in an airport, the plane had been delayed, and you know, when they announce, oh, the you know, this changing gates and the flight has been delayed, when they make those announcements, people just go crazy, you know, they're like, they start running everywhere, and I, I didn't, I knew that I would eventually get home, but, so I just kinda took my time, you know, it was delayed like two hours, so I just decided to sit there, and all these people were going crazy, and there was another guy sitting about a couple seats away from me, and he also was very calm, and so we kind of made eye contact, you know, that eye contact you make in airports like, well, do I really want to have a conversation with you? I'm not sure, you know, that, that kind of eye contact you make in airports. But we did make that eye contact, and I just simply, in politeness, said, ah, you delayed too? He said, yeah. I said, well, I so said, where are you headed? I said, I'm, going, I'm, I'm going home to DFW, D- Dallas-Fort Worth Air- Airport, Dallas-Fort Worth. And so I'm originally from the Dallas-Fort Worth area. So when I heard him say that, that kind of sparked the conversation. We started having a conversation. And this guy, actually, I was just amazed. This guy knew all kinds of stuff about the Bible. He knew theological words. He was informed. And the more I talked to him, the more I started thinking, this guy's either been to seminary or he's been to Bible college or something. He just has a good wealth of knowledge about Christianity, about church, about all those kind of things, you know. And so being that he was from the Dallas-Fort Worth area, my last question to him was, so, so uh, are you a, you know, what, what church do you go to, is what I asked him. What church do you go to? Uh, thinking that maybe I knew the church. Maybe it was a large church in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. What church do you go to? And I'm not kidding. This is exactly his answer. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't go to church anywhere. And he said, I, it interferes too much with my life, going to church. At least he was honest. The truth is that if that's what Jesus wants to do, he wants to interfere with your life. And as bad as that might sound, the truth is that when Jesus interferes with your life, you actually find real life. Um, Your life gets changed and transformed. He makes you a better, doesn't just make you a better person, he transforms you into a better person. So Jesus says, if you're going to be a follower of his, you've got to deny yourself, you've got to take up your cross daily and you've got to follow him. Then at the end of that same chapter, in Luke chapter 9, at the end of that same chapter, he then gives us, there's like this interaction between Jesus and three would-be followers of Jesus. And I think it would be important for us to see, it turns out that these guys are only fans, they're not really followers, but I think it'd be important for us to see what they did and how does that speak to us. The first fan we see is found in Luke chapter 9, verse 57, fan number one. This is what it says in Luke 9, it Says, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I want to follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no, no place to lay his head. Now I want you to get a mental image here. Jesus is walking along the road, and some guy walks up. Who knows? He might have seen Jesus perform a miracle. We don't know exactly. But he walks up to Jesus, and he says, Hey, Jesus, I want to follow you wherever you go you go. I mean, he's talking a good game. He's saying, I'm willing to do whatever is right. I'm willing to go wherever you want me to go. I'm, I'm, re- I'm ready to go without reservation. And then Jesus responds. It's kind of a strange response, right? Because when somebody comes to me and says, hey, Rich, I really want to do this. I wouldn't say, well, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. <laughs> That's not how I would respond obviously Jesus knows something right about this guy maybe he knew that this guy loved comfort more than following him and what you find is as a follower the message of the cross is often in direct conflict with our desire for comfort but the truth is that we live in a world that that's what we strive for right we strive for comfort comfort we strive for ease that's our highest goal in fact all of technology seems to be created around this very idea Right? How to make life easier? How to make life more comfortable? Right? That's what technology does. Like if you, somebody, uh, look. I, if you own one of these, I'm not judging you, but like the Snuggie, right? I don't own a Snuggie. You guys know what a Snuggie is? It's, amazing. it's see, I'm not judging you for having one. She's just looking at me like, yes, you are, Pastor Rich. Look, no, seriously, it's okay. I'm sure it's fine to have a Snuggie. Just don't tell anybody about it because it's just weird, right? Walking around in some big old thing in your house, you know, just, it just it seems weird to me, right? But it's all about comfort. So much of life, I know, it was I would have never sat and watched some late night at, you know, kind of info thing, you know, offering me a Snuggie, and I would have said, well, that seems like a great idea. I just wouldn't have done that. You know? But yet, what it is, is what they're selling you is comfort. All you have to do is look at the news. I mean, sorry, look at the commercials on TV. Almost without exception, commercials are all about how to make your life easier and more comfortable. We live in a society in which that's what it's all about. But a follower of Jesus is not asking the question, how can I be more comfortable? I think too many of us are not really pursuing Jesus. We're pursuing comfort. That's really our aim, our goal. But following Jesus doesn't always lead to comfort. So let me ask you this question, okay? As we talking about define the relationship, as we define the relationship, let me ask you this question. Is the relationship one of convenience comf- or comfort, or is it about commitment? Is your relationship with Jesus Christ about convenience or comfort, or is it about commitment? This man in verse 57 he spoke words of commitment. He said, I'll follow you. I'll go wherever you want me to go. But what we see is this man just kind of fades away. I don't, we don't know. Maybe Jesus knew something about him. Maybe he was never really committed to Jesus. He's just simply a fan. In fact, we have a little saying around here we, we use all the time. Come just as you are, but don't stay that way. And I know that that saying sounds a little bit <clears throat> like a bait and switch, like uh, Show up here, and then we're going to brainwash you into being a different person. <laughs> but that's not really it. We're speaking to two truths, actually, that the scriptures talk about. Sometimes these truths seem to be in, in, in opposition to each other, but they're not. They harmonize with each other. And the first truth is, come just as you are. The fact is that no matter where you are in your relationship with God, no matter how far you've gone, no matter how deep you've fallen into sin, Jesus never rejects you. You are welcome to come. That's how it is. But here's the thing. God has a design and a plan for your life that is good for you. That is about bringing you up. It's about making you a better human being. And so there's this process of discipleship where we come to him just as we are, but then we allow his power to start transforming our lives. Jesus says, follow me. This requires this introspective look into our lives. So what are the areas of your life that God is saying, hey, are you willing to surrender? Are you willing to give it up? I don't know if you, I don't know how many vegetarians there might be here. Uh, I'm not a vegetarian, but I, I affirm that the, the the food habits of vegetarians is probably good and healthy. I've just not, never been a big vegetarian. But there's a new kind of vegetarian. Have you heard about this? The flexitarian? Anybody heard of the flexitarians? No? They, they exist, actually. There's a lady by the name of Christy Pugh. She's a flexitarian. She says, um... I usually eat vegetarian. <laughs> I usually eat vegetarian, but I really like sausage. <laughs> That's a flexitarian. And then she says, I guess I'm just not 100% committed to the vegetarian lifestyle. And with that kind of definition, I think I'm a flexitarian too, because I affirm that eating you know, more vegetables is good for you. But if I see a pile of bacon at a buffet, I might eat Bacon. What is sad, I know I'm saying, but what is sad is I think oftentimes that's how we we treat our relationship with Jesus Christ. We're just flexible. You know, we're flexitarians when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ. Like, I like Jesus. I really like Jesus, but I don't really like serving the poor. I love Jesus, but I, you know, I don't really want to be a fanatic about it. I don't want to go all in. I don't want to have to change my lifestyle. I love Jesus, but I don't want to stop sleeping with my boyfriend. Or you might say, I want to follow Jesus, but don't ask me to forgive that person who hurt me. I mean, you're asking too much to ask me to release that resentment and that bitterness. I want to follow Jesus, but really? Are you seriously asking me? Is Jesus really asking me to give a percentage of my income away? And so so easy for us to be like these flexitarians when it comes to our relationship with Christ. We wear the name Christian, and then we pick and choose the stuff that we really want to follow and not follow. Like going to a buffet. I think I've been fasting for 21 days. I've been talking a lot about food today. So I, just forgive me. And if you're out there, and you're like, oh, man, Rich, stop saying stuff like food. But it's what, I, it's what came to mind, is this buffet, going to a buffet. I never go to a buffet and eat the stuff I don't like. like. You know, like if there was liver... If there was liver on a portion of the buffet, I wouldn't even touch that portion of food. That's like, that whole area is off limits for me because I won't get near liver. And I think that oftentimes that's how we treat our relationship with Christ. God, this, this is a hard saying. I won't do that, but oh, I love when he heals me. I love when he does these things. You know? So we're very flexible and flexitarious. So fan number one, the question is, is your relationship one of convenience or commitment? Fan number two, Found in verse 59, it says this. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Jesus said, follow me. And the man responds, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. I want you to notice the language that this man uses when he responds to Jesus' call to follow him. So it was almost instinctual. He says, but he said, Lord, let me... First, let me first go bury my father. I want to follow you. I really do. But, but first, I got to take care of this first. And we treat our relationship kind of like that. Another food uh, illustration. <laughs> kind of like that diet that we're about to start. <laughs> that we're about to start, right? Like I am going to diet right after this double stuffed burrito or something, you know? I think you know all the stuff that I'm really baking and double stuffed burrito, the stuff I haven't been eating for the last 21 days. Anyways, <clears throat> we do that to Jesus all the time. First, let me do what I want to do. Now, when you hear this, this guy, he says, let me go bury my dad. You might think, that's kind of harsh, Jesus. Really? Like you're, you're really saying that he can't go first bury his dad? That's kind of harsh on your part. But the language here, what it reveals actually is that his dad's not actually dead yet. What the language reveals is that, in fact, his dad may not even be sick yet. What this guy's actually saying is, when my dad dies, I'll follow you. When I receive the inheritance, I'll follow you. When he doesn't have time or is able to object to me following you, then I will follow you. First, I'm going to take care of me. Then I will do what you want me to do. I think sometimes we have some legitimate excuses to why we don't follow Jesus. I guess what it really boils down to is do we trust him? Do we trust him now? This man wanted to follow Jesus. I think he really truly did want to follow Jesus. But he couldn't trust him. And Jesus invites us into a relationship of trust. with. I mean, I've heard it so many times. I can't tell you. The number of times that I've heard somebody come and say, you know, when I was 18 years old, uh, God called me to missions. When I was 20 years old, God called me to, to, into the ministry. And now they're in their 50s or whatever, and we have this conversation, and they're like, yeah, life has gotten really complicated. And it's all about this. First, let me go do this. Third fan is found in verse 61. He says, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to, f- farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Essentially, Jesus saying he's not looking for any half-hearted followers. He's not interested in Sunday-only kind of Christianity. That's not what he's looking for. He's not looking for people who are just going to be constantly looking over their their shoulder to see, did I make the right decision in following Jesus? That's not what he's looking for. Now, fan number one, I mean, fan number two and fan number three, what's interesting, the issue for them is about priority. Where does Jesus stand in the priority? All of us have a list of priorities, every one of us. I guess the question is, where is Where does Jesus rank on that priority list? And Jesus really says, I want to be number one. I want to be at the very top. And so the question I want to ask you in terms of like fan number two and fan number three. Fan number one, we ask the question, is your relationship one of convenience or commitment? For for fan number two and three, the question is this, is Jesus one of many or is he your one and only? Is Jesus one of many or is he your one and only? You see a fan... Wants to make Jesus one of many. I have my job. I have my secure income. I'm going I'm to bow at that altar and worship. I have this be- relationship with this beautiful woman. I'm going to bow at that altar and worship. Oh, I love Jesus too. So I'm going to raise my hands and worship at church. And so we have all of these different, all of these different minis. And Jesus says, I want to be all. I want to be all for you. Our entire being is just submitted to him. Jesus is telling us that following him is not a part-time gig. It's all in, all in. And I know that what I just said sounds harsh. And I know that you might be saying, Rich, seriously? But that's the only way. That's the only way you can possibly interpret Luke 9.23 when he says, If you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. There is no, no other way to interpret that. Jesus also tells us in Luke 10, 27, interesting passage about this very same thing. It's about commitment. He says, this is the great commandment. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He says all. He's not saying some of your soul, some of your heart, some of your mind. I want it All. That's the relationship that Jesus is calling us into. Over the years, I mean, I praise God. Over the years, I've had an opportunity to see this firsthand. Like I have had an opportunity to watch how people in our congregation have gone from just being a fan to being a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. I love it. I love it. Seeing people whose lives, they came in through the doors, lives upside down, divorce, imminent, I mean, divorce papers on the table, and now God rescues their marriage, and, they're, and now they're s- thriving and lo- loving God along the way. One of them is a guy named Tito, Tito Francisco. I accidentally talked about the, remember the, not the Philistine, but the Filipino last week? <laughs> That's who I was referring to. Tito Francisco's from the Philippines. But um, I've known Tito for, you know, for many, many years. This week, I saw a post. He posted something on Facebook this week about the love of God, the love of Christ in his life and how it's transformed him. But I've known Tito for like nine years. And I remember when I first met Tito in a coffee, my wife and I met him and Andrea at a coffee shop. And we sat down to talk and Tito, you know, he had all kinds of amazing ideas and philosophies about Christianity and God and religion and... You know, Jesus was one of them, but there was a few others, maybe some Buddhism in there and some other things, you know, and 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 we had these interesting conversations, you know, but I've seen Tito over the years, God has begun to mold him and shape him, and a couple years ago, the Lord just set him free, and I've seen him in the last two years be, move from being a fan to a fully devoted follower. Today, he's actually... While we were here, he was up in Cedar Rapids. No, he wasn't. He was here. I thought he, but he, he's typically on the worship team in Cedar Rapids. And I think that that's a story for many of you as well. That once you were a fan, and now you're a follower of Jesus Christ. I want us to stand, and I want to pray for you. <clears throat> um, when Jesus says, if anyone will follow me or come after me, he must deny himself take up his cross and follow me so it's, it's a it's a big it's a big demand it's a big order it's one that actually re- requires commitment that's the word it requires commitment here's one I want to just land with you on you cannot experience the greater that God has in store for your life you cannot experience the greater that God has in store for your life until you cross the line of commitment with him and you say, I'm all in for you, Jesus. Anything short of that, what happens is that our life becomes the makings of how we navigate our spirituality. We make unwise choices and then we suffer the consequences of those unwise choices. We say some hurtful things to a person I'm in a relationship with and Because I'm not submitted to Jesus Christ, I don't fully understand that I need to actually reach out to that person and ask for forgiveness because I said something I should not have said. And the relationship just gets unhealthier. More unhealthy, more unhealthy, more unhealthy, more unhealthy. Commitment. And that invitation hasn't changed. When Jesus said, anyone who would come after me must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Jesus said that 2,000 years ago, but that wasn't, that's not a static statement in time. It's not like Jesus said that, and he was only speaking to a few dozen people standing around him. That's a statement that actually transcends time. In fact, this morning, as I have said it multiple times, anyone who come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You can actually interpret, you can take it as if that's not rich talking. That's the Lord Jesus Christ talking to me. Now, believe me, I'm not trying to equate myself in any way. I'm just telling you, this call, this invitation is for us today. My favorite word, my favorite word in that invitation is the word anyone. 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 Anyone means that person who lies in bed at night regretting their past and can't believe that they're where they are in life. Anyone is that person who stands in front of the mirror and says, I can't believe I've become the person that I've become. I just, it just, I cannot believe that. Anyone is that person who who looks at themselves and realizes that they have a lot of addictions to destroy their life and destroy their family and now they're full of regret and remorse over that. Anyone, anyone Anyone. Anyone means everyone. Anyone means you and me right now. And so what I want to do is I want to pray for you. And I'm going to ask everybody to just bow your heads, close your eyes. Because anyone also means that person that might be sitting here right now with your heads bowed, your eyes closed. And you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You've never come to him and said, Lord, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me for who who I have become. You've never asked him to come into your life and transform your soul and your your being and your spirit. You've never surrendered to him. And if that's you right now, if there's some of you here right now, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. I just simply want you to raise your hand real quick and I put it back down. I want to pray for you. If you've never given your life to Christ, thank you. Anyone also means <clears throat> those of us who have, have come to faith in Jesus, but we've become a little bit lukewarm. We've allowed ourselves to kind of just be wounded and injured by life and, and decided that that's just, that's God's fault or it's that person's fault and I won't forgive. And you attend church regularly. You do all the things right, but, but your spirit is far from God and anyone is speaking to you as well. And he's calling you and me again to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and to follow him. And so I want to pray for us right now. And if you raise your hand because you've never given your life to Christ, just in your own words, tell him, Jesus, I love you. I ask you to forgive me my sins. Help me to be one of your children. Amen. Let's pray. Father, just thank you, God, for what you're doing in this place. I thank you, Father, for this congregation that you're speaking to, that you're calling us, Father, to a place of revival. You're calling us, Father, to a place of no more lukewarmness, no more half in, half out, Lord God. You're calling us to a place where we are committed to you. We don't want to just be a fan, Father. We want to be a follower. And when things get tough, when the, when the road is hard, Father, we want to lean into you as opposed to run from you, Father. Father, for those who raise their hand because they've never given their life to you, Jesus, I pray that you will reveal yourself, and reveal yourself to them in a powerful way that this morning they would walk out of here with assurance that they are your children, set free by the power of God. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing in this place. In Jesus' name.